Well, I woke up this morning to uh, the news that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has been sacked. And so I'd like you to get into groups now and discuss whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Ola Gunnar, some of you are going, I have no idea who he's talking about. Ola Gunnar Solskjaer was the, um, until um, this morning, was the manager of Manchester United, uh, as many of you will know. He was a gifted player, and he seemed a really nice bloke. And um, when he was uh, put in charge of the football team, um, lots of people were sort of like, I think there was a sort of a sense of, well, it's, it's nice, but we're not sure. Mr. Solskjaer has had a team of very expensive, very gifted individuals. But it seems that to be the case that he's found it very difficult to help them play really well. These are not numpties. They are, you know, they're good footballers. I mean, some of you are going, well, no, they are actually. And, uh, but he struggled. And so the manager gets sacked every time. And you might not be the only person that sat, sat in, watched the news or watched Football Focus or something and gone, I don't know if it's fair that the manager always gets sacked. Because there's 11 other blokes on the pitch kicking that bag of wind around and they don't seem to get sacked. Is it fair? Well, I don't know. Except the manager's job is to try and make sense of how a team should play the game. So what's the tenuous link to Jesus? Well, it could be that I think Jesus would make a better manager of Manchester United. It could be that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs Jesus this morning. Or it could be that what Jesus did was to come to individuals to say, let me manage you. Let me help you work out how to make sense of your own life. Just as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the sidelines wasn't playing the game, but he knew how, well, he didn't actually, did he? I mean, that's the whole point. He should have known how the game should be played. This analogy is going to break down at this point. He wasn't going to play in every position, but he, was able, he should have been able to say to the team, listen, this is how you should play your part. And I think in a sense, a tenuous sense perhaps, I think that's what being a Christian is like. It's, and I know that sounds really cheesy, but it is that idea that we come to Jesus and he says, this is how to live your life. This is... The part you have to play. This is your role. This is what you need to be able to do. This is what you need to know to make sense of it. And when the gospel writers wrote the gospels, what they were doing was, was writing in a sense so that you would see Jesus differently. So that you might understand as a follower of Jesus... What does he want from me? 
And what we began a couple of weeks ago was a series where we began to look at the way Matthew, the first gospel writer, how he um, introduces readers to Jesus. And what he does in the first two chapters is he just introduces titles. And these titles will be explored further down in the gospel, but actually they're enough to draw you in, hopefully, to go, so what sort of leader is Jesus? What's he like? Because if I understand what he's like, if I understand the leadership of Jesus, if I understand what he would want, then I might be able to make sense of my own life. Because I think that's the point of it all. Can you make sense of your own life? I feel like I've done too many funerals recently. But in order to die well, you need to know how to live well. Otherwise, you'll get there, and if you're not careful, you'll look over your shoulder and go, well, what was all that about? And the Christian gospel comes along and says to us, Jesus is the one who actually wants to help you live well. It's not the idea of it being a ticket to heaven just. It's this idea of actually, can you live well? So we're going to look at a couple of titles just briefly, Jesus the Savior and Jesus Emmanuel. And uh, before we do that, let's listen to the way Matthew introduces these two titles. Uh, Glenn, do you want to come? And uh, Glenn's going to read. It's from, if uh, you want to read in your own Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you. On our street... The Christmas lights are going up in people's gardens. It started three weeks ago. 
We have got a house that's an outlier. They've got their Christmas tree up far too early. But the Christmas lights are going up. And actually, you'd be a real curmudgeon to begrudge them. Because the days, (laughs) some of you are going, yes, you, you're the curmudgeon. (laughs) I could see that that conversation going on between Steve and Claire. Um, (laughs) As the nights and the darkness of of the nights get so long... There's a joy of the light. The plot of the year is changed. And in the murky darkness, there's just the joy of light. Matthew began his, his uh, gospel with a genealogy, and we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. It's like the, the breadth of history, and it was like a plod through history. And whenever you look at history, the question always is, will it always be the same as it is today? Will anything, can anything change? Or will we simply ever be hopeful and always disappointed? And Matthew gets to the point where he says, no, Jesus comes. Interestingly, Matthew tells us a story not of how how, uh, Jesus was born, but actually about the prehistory. How was he conceived? Glenn read about Joseph, this righteous man, wanted to do right, was a good man, was an upright man, and he was caught between a rock and a hard place, because he wanted to do what was right, but he wanted to do what was compassionate to Mary. It was a rock and a hard place. It was like, how do you make sense of this? Because in the midst of it, Mary had told him, he got the news, that Mary was pregnant. Now, when some people, and particularly perhaps non-believers, look at these stories, they go, oh, it's just all legend, it's myth. And the ancients, well, they were gullible. And, of course, if someone came and said it was a virgin birth, well, it's kind of like what they expected. Let me tell you, nobody in those days expected a virgin birth. The reason Joseph thought, I need to break off this engagement, is because he knew virgin births didn't happen. The ancients knew how women got pregnant. That's why he felt, I've got a divorcer. I've got to break this betrothal. And I've got to break it for my sake. Because for the rest of my life, I'll be looking at this child going, it's not mine. But I don't want Mary to be shamed. So how do I do it? And that's where God stepped in. And God said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like when the gospel writers um, write this and you would want more information, wouldn't you? How? What does that mean? How does that work? What Joseph heard is, this is something that is absolutely out of the ordinary. This is something you could never have expected. But what's happened to Mary is because of God. It's a virgin birth. This woman hasn't slept with another man. 
but she is pregnant. The Spirit overshadowed her. And it's right that, in a sense, the gospel writers don't go into detail because anything else would be prurient, it would be intrusive. No, it's no more descriptive than in the beginning of Genesis where the Spirit hovers over the darkness. There's like a, an overshadowing, but the outcome of this is Mary goes, I'm pregnant, and I didn't sleep with another man. All this, Matthew wrote, said, it took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. In our world today, it's not uncommon for people to talk about, well, I'm just very spiritual. It's kind of interesting because sort of like a few decades ago, um, do you, do you, some of you, do you remember when the New Age movement just sort of started to hit the shops and, and it all seemed a bit wacky? You, some, some of you are old enough. And it was like, the, just for a little collection of people who were like a very small minority. Nowadays, every sort of Gen X, uh, Gen Z uh, millennial will go, well, of course, I'm very spiritual. And, and in a sense, that's brilliant, because what they're saying is, there's more to this than meets the eye. But the difficulty with sort of being spiritual is, what do you mean? It's the problem we have when we talk about God. And it's interesting, you, you talk to people who might or might not be Christians, and you talk about God, and you're using the same language, but you might mean something very different. It's very tempting to do what someone once suggested, that God made us in, in his image, and then we returned the compliment. In other words, we make God in our image. And the Christian story begins here. That says that actually in a virgin birth, God and humanity become one and Jesus comes and he is God and man. To the extent that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the Jesus shaped God. If you want to know who God values, look at what Jesus did. If you want to know what God thought about people, look at what Jesus did around people. If you want to know how God feels about the broken, look at what Jesus did with the broken. He's the Jesus-shaped God. He's not like, well, it's all a bit of a mystery, isn't it? It's actually God came in human form. Matthew says, actually, this fulfills something that happened centuries before, when Isaiah, a prophet, came to a king in Judah, and Judah were under immense pressure, this southern kingdom of Israel, under immense pressure from political parties all around. And they were looking to trust Egypt because a political sort of uh, contract might help or other nations around them. And the prophet comes and goes, listen, you can try and put your trust in all of these other nations, but ultimately the trust will break down. There's only God you can really put your trust in at the end of the day. 
And then the prophet comes and says to the king, um, ask God for a sign. And the king goes, oh, no, I'm too, no, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And the prophet says, well, God's going to give you a sign anyway. And this is the sign that a young girl will have a child. And by the time the child is old enough to know right and wrong, God will deliver you. And that situation, that story trickled down in people's thinking. And it trickled down so that when this event happened and God came to Mary and Joseph had to make sense of it. It's like the virgin, the virgin will give birth to a son. God is the one who's with us. You can trust him. He's a Jesus-shaped God. And then secondly, he's a Joshua Jesus. You'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus or Joshua in Aramaic or Hebrew was a very common name. But Joshua in Hebrew means God saves. And um, Joseph is told, your wife to be will give birth to a son and he will not bear your name. It won't be your name that he carries. He'll carry a different name because he's here to do something really specific. He's going to save his people from their sins. It kind of begs the question, isn't it? Did the people want to be saved from their sins? (laughs) And the truth is, probably most of the people at that time would have gone, it's not my sin that's the problem, it's everybody else's. I don't want us to be saved from my sin. I want you to save me from the sinners. I'm doing all right, thank you. There's a moment where you go, do you know what? The problem's not out there. The problem's in here. The problem's here. I can blame everybody else. problems in here do you ever do that thing I do this a lot talk to Maggie afterwards if you're not sure who Maggie is she plays the piano she'll just form an orderly queue and ask her afterwards in our house I I don't know if I should tell you this publicly but it might be a security risk but I'll tell you anyway Um, we got a conservatory which we do lock and then we have an interior door that should be locked and um, sometimes isn't locked. It's generally locked when Maggie locks it and then there's someone else in the house who generally forgets to the extent that last night she said to me, not only did you not lock the door, you left it open. I'm not going to give you the address just in case you want to pop round, but... And my first reaction is always to say, oh, well, that's because you called me. And I was halfway through locking it and I got distracted. And so if it's anybody's fault, I think it'll be, I think you'll find Maggie. I think everybody else in this room would agree with me, Maggie. Do you ever do that? No one's nodding. It's like, no. (laughs) Do you ever do it? No, it's not my fault. It's, even when I've made a mistake, it's not my fault. You, you, 
takes security, doesn't it? It takes that sense of actually, I'll own up. Yeah, it's me. Jesus will save us from our sins. I don't need to keep on deflecting. I don't need to keep on defending myself with false allegations of why. I don't need to keep pushing it out. I can actually admit, yeah, it's me. I screw up. And Jesus, the Jesus-shaped God, won't destroy the sinner. He'll save them. He won't withdraw his presence from you. He'll come close to you. He won't write you off. He'll say, I've got good news. Someone called Brian McLaren wrote this. A woman with a drug addiction. A man with a rage problem. A country torn by religious strife. A religious community racked with internal conflict. A school with chronic underachievement. A growing gap between rich and poor. A carbon-based economy radically out of sync with the natural environment. All of these can appear to be stubborn problems and earn the label impossible to change. But when the kingdom of God comes near through Jesus, when we experience it, the word impossible melts and evaporates and its tyranny over us ends. You see, when Jesus comes and says, I'll save you from your sins, it's not like, oh, yeah, I, I, I told a lie today or, you know, I thought a bad thought today. It's actually the very thing that holds us. He will break and you won't be stuck in the same cycle. That's what it means for Jesus to break the power of sin. And then finally and quickly, he's the Emmanuel Jesus. They'll call him, the angel said, they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's like, who is this man? Who will this baby become? It will be, when you meet Jesus, it will be like God's here. God down our street, God in our home, God at our table, God in our church. If you who are followers of Jesus know Emmanuel, what might be possible? What changes because God's with you? I was preparing for this this morning. I was thinking, I'm telling you what 90% of you have heard so many times before. And I was thinking, well, what do, what do I need to hear? I need to hear the invitation to keep on believing this message. It's easy to start off going, yeah, I was a sinner, but I was saved. And now I'm just trying to earn God's favor. And Jesus comes and goes, you don't need to do that. You can keep on confessing and owning up and there's freedom. 
The virgin birth suggests that actually in history, God acted in a way that changed everything. That God became man and walked in our shoes. And now Jesus, who the writer of the Hebrews will say is praying for you, understands you. And he understands you, not because he's all-powerful, but because actually he's walked in your shoes. He knows what it's like to doubt. He knows what it's like to fear. He knows what what it's like to be absolutely tired. He knows what it's like when you're really frightened. And he's the God who's with us. How do you get in? How do, you accept, how do you get this? Well, Jesus would say, believe this message. Trust him. Isaiah, 700 years before, where are you going to go? Trust God. And the king would go, yeah, but right now, the other nations look stronger than God. Where are you going to go? Trust the message. This remarkable truth of the gospel, bigger than you imagined. Be ready to follow this Jesus. Be ready to live out his example. Receive and, I don't know, but loads of us in, the, in, in this building this morning would say, when we believed, we received. And I've jotted some things down that I think, well, I know some of you would say. When I came And I just said, yes, Jesus. I received, some of you say, I just felt an overwhelming sense of being loved. Or being encouraged. Or being strengthened. I just found strength for the journey. Perseverance. I just found that sense of being home. And the Bible would use the language of, to those who ask what you receive, are those things, but actually it's sort of, it's more than that. It's the spirit. It's God himself. The very presence of God. Lots of you know this in your head. Some of you, the truth of it has died in your heart. And it's an invitation to come and say, yeah, Lord, do it again. Some of you know it and you experience it and you have experienced it and you need to carry it to those that you love to say, you're not trapped, there's a way forward. And some of you might not have heard it before. And today is the day when you can commit your life and say, yeah, I'm not sure about everything. Like when Graham was speaking earlier, I'm not sure about everything. But maybe today is a day to take one step forward. I'm going to ask the band to play it, coming back for us. And, um, and then I'm going to pray as they begin to play. If uh, you're able, I'd like you to stand.
And if it would help you, then just put your hands in sort of like a, as a, an image of receiving whatever God wants to give you. Just hold your hands out. And I just want to pray over us together. For those of you that feel you're too far away or that it's all gone very dark or cold, Lord, I want to pray that your spirit would just bring the truths that are known in our heads and bring them alive in our hearts. Lord, may your spirit come and rest upon us. Will you revive us and restore us again? Would you stir up the truth of salvation again? Lord, will you stir up the beauty of knowing you as a present reality in our lives? Lord, may you, the God who is with us, make yourself known to us. Lord, just come by your spirit, upon particularly for folks who might feel really just a long way from you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Just in the stillness, just as you... Lift your hands, just receive all that God would want to give you. He knows you so intimately. And the Son, Jesus, died for you, that your sins would be forgiven and not count against you, that you would know freedom from everything that holds you. May you know the power of the Spirit. And for those of you that are not so sure, I invite you to in your heart to say, I don't get it all, but I'm, I'm making a commitment. I want to say yes to Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those folks this morning. Lord, I pray that they might hand over the reins of life to you, that you would be the one who would lead them, that you would be the one that would help them make sense of life, that you would be the one that they would know was their saviour who died and rose again for them. Lord, for folks who are just making that new, those new commitments of saying yes to you, Lord, help them to say yes and yes and yes and yes. Lord, we pray for salvation in their hearts and lives. And Lord, for those that we love, may you do that work of grace in their lives. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray.